During the Trump presidency, China was mentioned so many times that those who impersonated him had to master the way he pronounced the country's name. China. 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 The issue is way bigger than one administration. What for decades was a frenemy relationship now seems to have the friend portion out of it dwindle fast. And if you have been missing out on these tensions between the two, here is a roundup of just a few events in the last months that have caused them to consciously decouple. The US put major roadblocks that stopped the Chinese tech company Huawei from its global ambitions. China and America had a tit-for-tat in expulsion of journalists. The Chinese military went on a build-up and now has more Navy ships than the US military. And the list goes on. The breakdown of the relations between China and the US is one of the most significant current events that affects the entire world. To help me navigate the American strategy towards China and what the transition from Trump to Biden means for the two, I'm joined by one of the world's most renowned political scientists, the man who has coined the term soft power, Harvard professor, former dean of Kennedy School and former senior Pentagon official, Joseph Nye. I'm your host, Zoya Soroy, and this is The Dive, the show where we bring you the world's foremost experts from Harvard and beyond to break down the world right now. Hello. Hello. How are you? Very well. Let's get my video going here. All right. There we go. That uh, look okay? Yeah, perfect. First of all, again, thank you so much. It's uh, really uh, an honor to talk to you. Um, I want to start with a quote of a recent op-ed you have written, and it says that, uh, quote, American relations with China are at their lowest point in 50 years. Um, could you talk more about it? Why is that so? Well, I think uh, if you look at the uh, relations at the end of the Trump administration, they were certainly more bitter and strained than we've seen since uh, the 70s. First, basic facts. China's been ruled by a brutal authoritarian regime, a communist regime since 1949. For several decades, we thought the regime would become more like us through trade, scientific exchanges, diplomatic outreach, letting them in the WTO as a develop, developing nation. It didn't happen. We greatly underestimated the degree to which Beijing is ideologically and politically hostile to free nations. And there's a temptation then to blame that all on Trump. My view is that Trump was like a man who saw a fire burning and threw gasoline on the fire, but the fire was already there. I said this in a speech I gave in Beijing a year and a half ago. You have to ask who lit the fire, and frankly, if you're honest with yourselves, uh, you lit the fire. Xi Jinping lit the fire. You cannot understand why these countries have tense terms without understanding this piece of information. In 2000, China, whose economy was smaller than France's at that point, wanted to join the World Trade Organization, or WTO. 
which basically is a members club that makes trade between countries easier. The US supported China's bid to join. The US and others thought that by having China join and compete with other big economies, that will make state-owned Chinese companies private and more efficient. In other words, China will become more like the US and less like its communist self. The US thought it was running the show, but China went for a à la carte globalization. It picked what it wanted and left out what it did it. It used the WTO to grow its economy, to come second to the US, but it kept its communist party, who has only gotten stronger and continues to keep a tight grip on business, giving Chinese companies benefits that foreign ones don't get, etc. China wrote its own script. With things like uh, uh, intellectual property theft, coercive intellectual property transfer. One of the most talked about of these unfair practices is forced technology transfer. Foreign businesses have complained for decades that they must share trade secrets and technological knowledge in order to set up uh, shop in China. State-owned subsidies to state-owned enterprises. Another is a whole series of actions which took advantage of the position that uh, ha- had been arranged over the years between China and the U.S., Uh, And I think that was the fire, and that was essentially what Trump was able to pour fuel upon. Now, the way Trump did it, I think, was uh, foolish. If they charge us, we charge them the same thing. After high-level trade talks failed, the U.S. began levying tariffs on Chinese products. Adding a tariff makes the price of Chinese-made goods higher for American buyers put tariffs on China and put them on our allies at the same time. But nonetheless, um, uh, the, the, the basis of my argument is that much as I disagreed with Trump, Trump wasn't the heart of the problem. Mm-hmm. He just exacerbated an existing problem. There have been ups and downs in American uh, foreign policy with China over the years. Um, after all, if you think back to 1950, we were at war with each other on the Korean Peninsula. And so we've had ups and downs in the past. Uh, the question, I think, is why this particular uh, down? And I think the reasons I gave, that there's a widespread feeling in the United States uh, that China was taking advantage of the things that we did, for example, when we sponsored their membership in the World Trade Organization. Uh, and when we uh, basically uh, went along with them on the development of a very unbalanced economic trade relationship. Uh, And that lack of real reciprocity, that feeling of taking advantage of us, I think it created anger and irritation in Washington uh, that was existing before Trump arrived. Mm -hmm. I think what Trump did was... um, imposing tariffs on China uh, was uh, understandable. It's that he he should have basically worked with allies to get a common position that Chinese behavior was unacceptable. Uh, Such things as the 
unfair trade system with subsidies to state-owned enterprises or the manipulation of uh, intellectual property transfer and so forth. Um, if he had gone and got the Europeans, the Japanese, Australians and others to bring a common position against China, I think it would have been more effective. Instead, he struck out in all directions and imposed tariffs against our own allies, same time he did against China. The Trump administration announced new tariffs on the European Union, Canada and Mexico. These ones had even less supporters. Republican Senator Ben Sass from Nebraska tweeted, Europe, Canada and Mexico aren't China. You don't treat allies the same way you treat opponents. And one of the great advantages that the U.S. has in its relationship with China as a competitor is that we have many more allies than China has. China has virtually no allies unless you count North Korea and Pakistan. It's not clear whether that's a plus or a minus. Um, and so uh, by foregoing working with our allies, Trump essentially failed to solve the problem. The Chinese company Huawei played a big sort of center stage in, in this debacle. We have met the enemy and it is Huawei. We're not going to do business with Huawei. Why was this particular company so um, detrimental to the diplomatic relations between the two countries? Well, Huawei has a history of uh, It, uh, severe intellectual property theft. I mean, this is this this is not this goes back way before Trump, and uh, Huawei was using its, um, its stolen intellectual property, which it did have the capacity to develop itself afterwards. I mean, after it stole it, it did uh, do its own research development, but then it uh, combined that with subsidies from uh, from the Chinese government to basically try to become a monopoly supplier of 5G telecommunications technology uh, to a variety of countries. And um, the question was, were we going to allow uh, Huawei to build the next generation of 5G in the United States? The very real potential that China will be the winner in this next generation of technology, and that will allow them to both, both exploit and benefit from and potentially disrupt what will be always on, always present central networks that drive everything from literally our vehicles to healthcare to uh, national security to our power system um, is chilling and concerning. And I think the Trump administration properly said, no, that's a real security threat to us. American officials have barred Huawei from U.S. government contracts and are urging U.S. allies to follow suit. Why would anyone grant such power to a regime that has already grossly violated cyberspace? This is exactly what China wants. They want to divide Western alliances through bits and bytes, not bullets and bombs. And uh, the if you if you look at the uh, question of what does China allow Google to operate in China or uh, Facebook to operate in China, the answer is no, because it regards Google or Facebook with their approach to the internet of basically open discussion as a security threat. So they've been banned. Uh, and the whole question of shouldn't the US have the same right to ban Huawei 
when Huawei, if Huawei were providing 5G technology to the US, every time they provided an update, they could at any time, given their uh, subordination to the Chinese government and Communist Party, they could uh, slip in malware into an update. If you say that's fanciful, just look at the recent SolarWinds case, where it appears that the Russians hacked into uh, the American company, SolarWinds, which was providing updates for networks and uh, uh, used those updates as a way to uh, insert uh, malware. Uh, well, China would have been able to do this through updates to a 5G system that it created. So I think the, the grounds for, for uh, uh, prohibiting Huawei from uh, working in the U.S. and try to get our allies with whom we share intelligence and work in cyber areas to take a similar position was a legitimate security concern. Mm -hmm. And um, in, in this particular case, one known ally of the U U.S., uh, Great Britain, decided to, in fact, grant Huawei the 5G contract. Uh, was there a split in the allies, um, especially Western European allies, and did Trump convince them to side with the U.S.? Well, there was definitely a split. There still is to some extent. Um, uh, the British have changed their position. China has reacted angrily after the government banned Huawei from the UK's 5G networks amid security concerns. It's a major U-turn after the Prime Minister said in January that the firm could be allowed a limited role in the new era of faster technology. But he came under pressure from America to change course. Tonight, China has called the decision wrong and disappointing and questioned whether the UK can provide a fair environment for business. The Germans have not. Um, the, um, the, so yes, the, the Britain had a plan where they thought that if they, uh, worked with Huawei to set up a, uh, a jointly operated laboratory between, uh, Huawei and their cyber agency, uh, they could determine whether the, uh, uh, so the, uh, hardware that Huawei is using was, um, uh, going to be secure or not. Uh, but it wouldn't have solved this problem that I mentioned about if, if the Chinese government came to Huawei and say, OK, you've been good with the Brits so far, but now we want you to slip in this piece of malware. Uh, it wouldn't have solved that. So that's uh, that's the reason why the Americans took a, um, a strong view on it. The British did come around on it. Uh, as I said, the Germans haven't said formally that they will exclude Huawei equipment from their networks, but uh, in informal practice, apparently they're making it difficult for Huawei to become a major participant. Um, trade and uh, the tariffs that were imposed uh, are certainly one of the biggest issues in the, the, the relationship between these two countries. Um, what are the other issues that are hot topics between the two countries? Well, a, a major question is freedom of navigation in the South China Sea. After telling President Obama that they would not militarize islands, they dredged sand, poured it on rocks, reefs, and atolls, called these islands, and put military equipment on them. 
We continue our look this morning at what China does not want you to see. The United States says the superpower is reclaiming land in the South China Sea. Artificial islands under construction could become military bases. Um, according to the Law of the Sea Tribunal, which met on this in 2016, these Chinese actions were illegal. But the Chinese acted as though they did. They rejected that decision. So the United States has been sailing what we call freedom of navigation operations through these 12 mile limits to prove that they are not uh, enclosures of open sea. Uh, the Chinese don't like that. And obviously that's a, uh, a major bone of contention. Uh, there's an American carrier going to the South China Sea right now. In addition, there's a dispute um, that China has with Japan over the Senkaku Island. And then another point is um, uh, the issue of Taiwan, where American policy has been uh, no unilateral declaration of independence by Taiwan, but no use of force by the mainland. And um, uh, that's become more contentious over time. At an air force base in the south of Taiwan, Fighter jets practice for an incursion towards the island by military planes from nearby mainland China. Jets have been scrambling for real more often as China has stepped up its military patrols, most recently last weekend. It seems to be Beijing's reminder that it will always regard Taiwan as part of China and it's prepared to take it back by force if necessary. And uh, then finally of uh, these territorial type disputes. Um, there's the issue of North Korea and its uh, and nuclear weapons where uh, the Chinese are officially supposed to be sanctioning North Korea, uh, but there's been a rampant uh, uh, disregard for the sanctions in, in many instances. But it's also worth remembering that even if we have economic issues, and even if we have political military issues, there's some areas where we have common interests and where it's essential that we cooperate with China. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you look at uh, the question of climate change, um, there's no way we can solve that or China can solve it acting alone. Similarly with pandemics, uh, the idea that uh, we don't cooperate on it would it'd be very foolish. This isn't the last pandemic we're going to see. What's sort of on the to-do list with China when it comes to the new administration? Well, the, the, some people thought, well, the Biden administration will have a complete new reset of relations with China. I don't think that's right. I think um, some of the attitudes that were in the Trump administration of getting tough on China uh, about these complaints that we had are going to remain uh, with the Biden administration. I just think the style is going to be very different. I also believe that um, uh, President Trump was right in taking uh, a tougher approach to China. Uh, I disagree very much with uh, the way that he went about it in a number of areas, but the basic principle was the right one. It's going to have less gratuitous insults added into the rhetoric. And uh, it's also going to place much more emphasis on alliances. And I think it's also going to look for ways to cooperate in those areas where cooperation is possible on these global issues. An important ally is Europe. 
But instead of waiting for President Biden to take office and align on China, weeks before the inauguration, the EU struck a deal with China. To help me understand how big of a deal this deal is, I'm joined by Philippe Lecoeur. Lecoeur is a China expert who is affiliated with both the Harvard Kennedy School and the Carnegie Endowment the EU and China. For many, it really came out of nowhere, sort of something that's done in the middle of the night. Um, guide us through the deal and, and how come we saw it when we saw it. Now, what's interesting there is, of course, it's not a trade deal. It's a deal about investment. So what does it mean? It's about um, um, helping European companies to get a better access to the Chinese market for investments uh, uh, without uh, facing uh, state subsidies problems, uh, state-owned enterprises that are championed by the Chinese regime. Um, and, and, and the Europeans are, are, are quite happy with the fact that uh, uh, whenever this is ratified, and of course we are far from that, then European companies will be able to invest without a 50% limit uh, in uh, electric cars, uh, private hospitals, financial services, and even cloud computing, believe it or not. And it did happen, yes, between Christmas and New Year's Eve, which is a bit unusual for the European Union. But for the European negotiators, who, have been, uh, who had been negotiating for seven years and 35 rounds, that wasn't unexpected. Now, of course, on the other side of the Atlantic, maybe it was unexpected, especially uh, uh, weeks before the inauguration of the new US president. And how come uh, China agreed to this concession? So, of course, uh, uh, there's a lot to do with timing. Uh, uh, somebody gave a green light sometime in December, uh, somebody pretty powerful in China, and somebody pretty powerful in Europe, uh, Chancellor Angela Merkel. And do remember as well that she's retiring in September next year. Um, and then, you know, for her, China has always been very important. First of all, uh, the Chinese market is still a 1.4 billion consumer market. Um, it's a very difficult one. Secondly, um, you know, for, for um, car manufacturers particularly, you know, uh, one car uh, out of four is basically, in the world, is being bought in China. Uh, and, and therefore, uh, for German car manufacturers, it's a very critical market so that they can you know, invest more, particularly in electric cars, uh, very important for them. Mm -hmm. And um, how does the US feel about the deal? Because I cannot imagine that they're too thrilled about it. Um, I mean, um, it, it sort of two weeks before the Biden presidency, are they thinking, couldn't they just wait until the new administration comes into a place and then we can talk and be more aligned about it? So what happened is um, um, Joe Biden was elected in November. Uh, and of course, nobody knew who was going to be elected president in November. Yeah. And meanwhile, the past four years have been very difficult for transatlantic relations. Um, as, you, as you may recall, a number of European leaders, including uh, President uh, Emmanuel Macron, tried to talk to Donald Trump about China. But, um, you know, of course, the, the Democrats are not in the same uh, league. Um, Joe Biden said he was going to convene a, a, a group of uh, democratic countries to discuss uh, issues, including China. 
um, and and then uh, his um, um, national security advisor designate Jake Sullivan uh, sent a, a, a quick tweet message in December, just a week before the, the completion of this deal, uh, saying that you know uh, the United States incoming administration was going to was happy to talk to the Europeans. Which is very unlikely, right? Because an incoming administration usually waits until they are... Exactly. You're quite right. So what happened is, in fact, the Europeans are saying, well, they, they were willing to talk to the Americans. But the Americans, the, the, the incoming administration, was not able to do anything until they came to power, technically, on January the 20th. So meanwhile, the, the Europeans thought, you know, we, why should we be waiting for um, um, Washington to give us a green light to go ahead with a deal that we think is going to benefit European companies? Because European companies are worried. I mean, this is a, this is a time where everybody's concerned with the economy, there's the pandemic. Uh, and then you have China with this huge market, and of course very difficult, I'm not saying it's an easy place to do business, but it's a very, um, you know, uh, it's an interesting market for many companies, and, and they do believe there is uh, profit to be made. Um, so meanwhile, they, they did, they signed this deal with the Chinese, because the Chinese thought the timing was, was good, for the reasons that we just discussed earlier. Uh, no, no US president, if you want, in, in office yet. And, and also, um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a way for, for Xi Jinping to show that he can sort of divide and conquer. And, and do you have a, the feeling, because, you know, many say, oh, but Trump was, was there for four years and then he got elected out of the office. But do you have the feeling that in Brussels there is a sentiment, right, but that was a big change for us and the way we see it in four years there's gonna be might be somebody else i mean you never know so we just let's pursue our own strategy because the u.s has not proved to be a very um predictable partner in this regard sure well exactly i mean you know it's not four years it's even two years i mean you have midterm elections in 2022 so um it's quite possible that in uh, less than two years uh, either the House or the Senate will will um, be uh, run by the Republicans and the Republican Party, which means that uh, it, things might become uh, difficult again, if, especially if you have followers of Donald Trump who, who run the show. Which, but you know, the Europeans wanted to to have a go at this. What do you think people don't understand? What is the difference between? the EU and the US when it comes to China or their interests when it comes to China or the way they're willing to do things when it comes to China? Well, there's a massive difference. First of all, uh, the US is a, a hard power and has a, a very strong military presence in, in the Pacific region. And I would say in the Indo-Pacific, as we use this term now, you know, is a very different entity. It's got 27 members, used to have 28. It has a strong soft power. It has the largest um, unified market, 450 million consumers now, and fairly, you know, uh, well-off consumers. Um, 
which is bigger than the US, you know, as a market. So, of course, very interesting for China, which, which is where I say that, you know, the Europeans may have used their leverage better, you know, with this deal. That's my, my criticism of the deal. The European hard power is not uh, strong enough in Asia, and that's where um, China is building a huge area of influence, you know, whether it's Southeast Asia, Northeast Asia, even Central Asia, this, this is sort of China's word. And, and America is the only power that has a military presence and that can face China, um, you know, uh, physically almost, in the Taiwan Strait, in the South China Sea, in the North China Sea. Um, and, you know, and there could be serious clashes, you know, between the, these two powers. I mean, just a few days ago, you had some two aircraft carriers, you know, sailing through the South China Sea. And, you know, the, the Chinese think this is a provocation. But, but many countries do need the U.S. presence because they feel threatened by China. Mm -hmm. Mr. Lecar, thank you so much for making time. I know you're very busy, uh, but really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Dive. If you support our mission of bringing you the world's foremost experts to explain the world right now, then please subscribe and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Dive Podcast.